everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson, how was your weekend? Oh, dude, so good. Like, I just did so much stuff. I just stuff. feel like, like, yeah, just so many things with so many cool. people, you know... Okay. Going to church. I had a like a fire at my place, and all my friends came over. We like burnt cardboard. And and, and where was our invite? Um, it was. I think you lost in the mail. <laughs> no, but you can come to the. Ne- it was kind of really impromptu. Like we were just like at church, and then all of a sudden we're let's like, burn the cardboard. We've just moved out. We have boxes, things. and we have more cardboard to burn, Lyle. Okay, all right. So forgiven. But other than that, like you know, caught the dawn service yesterday morning. Which uh, one did you go to? I went to the one in Wanji. Okay, Wanji, Wanji. Nice. Um, well, because a lot of them are not running. Yes. Um, and I think it's because they're like, oh, the logistics of running a. You know, COVID scanner and everything for the dawn service is tough. So, no, but Wanji ran. It was like, you Good didn't on have Wanji, to pre book. And it was, dude, it was incredible. Like, I, what hits me, man, like, cause you hear the stories and stuff, but dude, when those guys walk out with the, um, with the bagpipes and start playing, I like start tearing up, man. I'm like, I'm like, oh, if they had to play the Australian national anthem, for some reason they didn't, but if they had to play the Australian national anthem, I would have been gone. Like, it just makes me cry. Like, especially in that context, like it was, it was really, really beautiful. Um, oh yeah. And then on top of that, we had like this amazing, like Bible study training. So dude, my weekend's just been packed packed with amazing things, Uh Uh hanging out with friends, uh, remembering, you know, people who sacrificed, uh, their lives for our country. And, um, yeah. Yeah, learning about how to effectively share God's word. That's absolutely fantastic. It's like the best weekend ever. I'm sorry. I, if you had a better weekend than me... I did. Give, I did. Give, oh, oh. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, let's have some positively different news this morning. Lawson. Positively different news. Of course, we had Anzac Day yesterday. Did you catch a dawn service? I did not catch a dawn service yesterday. Unfortunately, I was in War Hope on Sabbath. Ah, oh, true. And stayed there quite late. Um, we're catching up with family and so forth, mm. which was really nice. It was just awesome. So got to preach up at War Hope Church, got to catch up with family. Mm. Did a whole bunch of uh, family history research. So heard some oh, stories epic. from some of the uh, older members of the family. And uh, found out a whole bunch of stuff that I never knew before. But, yeah, we did get back in very late. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, we caught the dawn service. Like, I, we sat, I stayed up late because, you know, we're having a bonfire in my backyard. But... Uh, you just stayed up until dawn or...? Oh, no, 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 not, <laughs> not quite, quite, not quite. But, like, um, you know, we catch the dawn service every year, particularly because, like, my grandfather and my great-grandfather served in World War One and World War Two. Um, you know, my, my great-grandfather, he was just, you know... a a regular soldier, you know, he never made it over to Gallipoli or um, anything like that. I, I think he did some some fighting, but like from what I've heard, he actually got a dishonorable discharge and stuff. So, Oops. so he's kind of yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, my grandfather, he was like uh, a double diamond commando, you know, going in behind enemy lines in Borneo and PNG, like 
legit guy, you know, yep. has all these medals. There's a there's a book about the Double Diamond Commandos where it's got stories about him because he, he wasn't he's one of the he's one of those guys he wasn't willing to talk about it or write it in a book. He's Most just like people that saw frontline action never wanted to talk about and it. And so it's crazy when you read this book and the, it stories about him, about him getting shot, getting shrapneled like, you know, he call it like malaria, everything like come home to Australia as like skinny as, you know, and white as a ghost with like no hair on him, like with gunshot wounds and everything, but then you know, went on to live a life and have 10 kids and have my dad who's like nine of 10. So, you know, and I exist today because of him. So yeah, it's a massive thing. Like for my dad, especially, you know, he always drags us out to the John service. Not that we don't want to go, but my dad is like, we have to go. We have to go and remember this. Um, and I was re- just, I was just reading a story, uh, this morning that was just so, uh, I, th- I thought it was just so inspiring. I feel like just summed up, um, kind of, you know, the 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 attitude that we have towards the Anzacs today that we that we should have and that is one of you know great uh, admiration for them um, but yeah not just yeah forgetting about it but rather caring about these things I just okay I read this story um, about this soldier his name was George Thomas Littleboy and he fought in World War Two uh, sorry in World War One and he fought in World War One and you know. Uh, ended up in a concentration camp uh, in, I believe, I'm not sure where the concentration camp was, but he ended up being buried in France. But none of his family knew this, of course. Um, he basically went off to war and then vanished. vanished. Never came back. And, you know, he was, uh, he was, he went to war as a very young guy. So he didn't, you know, leave Australia with, uh, you know, wife and kids or anything like that. But the rest of his family who stayed home, like he was remembered, he was like, you know, such a fond son. He was such a good guy. And yet he just disappeared. And, and now, you know, we're talking a hundred, over a hundred years later, all of his family just dying off one by one, not knowing like, where this guy is, but they held out hope. And uh, thankfully, you know, after an investigation by the Fallen Diggers Association and the Australian Defence Force, they found that, yeah, he ended up in a concentration camp and that he was buried in France. Now, this was communicated uh, to his oldest living living relative, who still remembers, you know, not him because they never met, uh, but his oldest living relative, Merle Donovan, who was a sanitarian. She's 102 years old, living in Australia, and she tells her story about growing up and hearing, you know, all about Uncle George, you know, and how, you know, he 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 gave everything, but no one knows where he is. And it was one of the great, you know, saddening saddening things in this family because how they were related, you know, was that uh, her like uh, Meryl's mother was Thomas's sister, and you know, just constant talking about, you know, when are we going to find him? When are we going to find him? All throughout their life, um, and just you know, also, you know, fond memories of him giving everything for his country. Um, and but finally they have, and you know it's just in the nick of time because like this lady, she's on her uh, you know the door of her 103rd birthday. Oh wow, she found a brother on 103rd birthday. Uh, f- third birthday, and uh, finally you know knowing where he's resting and laying, and and it just reminds me again like not only of like the fond, um, you know the fond Anzac spirit of of mateship and this idea of of caring and remembering you know as we say when we do the dawn service lest we forget Mm. um because of the amazing sacrifice that they made for us but it just also reminded me you know to draw spiritual application out of this um 
yeah, just of the care that God has for us, you know, looking for us in in this battle entrenched world, um, you know, just the care that this that these this family had for this guy, looking for him, never searching for him. for him, never forgetting him. It's the same same thing that God feels towards us. Absolutely, God marks the place where we where we fall, and He never forgets it. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna just toss in something um, controversial right here because mm. I am one of these people that is. <clears throat> highly in favour, I want to hear your thoughts on this, of a more inclusive Anzac Day service. Mm. And I'll tell you why. Um, the reality is that Anzac Day is a time that we should remember those who gave their lives and we should also determine for it to never happen again. Yes. You know, that should be the big thing about Anzac Day is may this never happen again. Yes. Let's get together every year to remember what it cost and make sure that we never go down this path again. Now, to begin with, as far as, you know, um, Anzac Day, of course, is diminishing in size as far as, you know, the dawn services and so forth. And part of the reason for that is a third of Australians were not born in this country. Yeah. And we don't include them. Mm. And I believe we should. Mm. Okay, this is going to be controversial, I know, but I believe that we should because everybody should be included in a service where we get together and we say never again. Yes. Now, we can't tell the future. We don't know what's going to happen in the world, but that's what we need to aim for. And we need to start with our allies. Mm. You know, for instance, the Americans amongst us and the Chinese amongst us. How many Chinese students are there at the university where you go? And China was our ally in the Second Mm. World War, and we need to remember that and we need to include them and say, hey, come along and remember your grandparents that served and gave their lives. Mm. But I think we also need to remember our enemies as well because we need to practice forgiveness Mm. and we need to have compassion and we need to remember that they lost family and that they lost loved ones and they went through heartache even though we have, you know, severe disagreements with the ideologies that caused it and so forth. This needs to be a time of remembering and a time of ensuring that we do whatever we can not to bring it back. Now, I know you had another really important story there and I just used up all your time. (laughs) Sorry, Lawson. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. But uh, we've got some serious stories we need to talk about this morning. Mm. And I want to start by talking about Israel Folau. He sort of pops up in the the news, super controversial. Um, And the reason that his name is super controversial is because some time ago, of course, we all understand that he posted a paraphrase of a Bible verse and lost his uh, career, his football career as a result of it. Mm. And the reason for that was because, you know, for those people who, you know, don't know anything about the Bible or Christianity or religion would see it. It was perceived as being hate speech. He, you know, mm. later came on and qualified that no, this was a call to repentance, not for a a uh, any form of hate speech and so forth. But you know, he did lose his career, and it's been an ongoing story and probably one of the biggest media stories that we've seen in Australia in the last two or three years. Mm. So we've got a developing story happening in the United States right now, and I'm going to be interested to see how this one actually develops and whether there is a parallel with the Israel Folau one, where you have um, NBL star LeBron James, who famously um, over the weekend tweeted what appeared to be a death threat on a police officer who had saved the lives of several uh, African-American girls by taking the life of another one. Mm. Um, they were about to be stabbed to death and uh, it was a just a tragic, tragic circumstance all round. And so LeBron James you know, posted up a photo of this particular police officer and said, you're next. Oof. 
Oh, that's intense. It's pretty that's heavy. intense. It's yeah. very, very intense. And so, you know, he's since come on and uh, and qualified that by saying, you're next for justice, not you're next to be killed. Yeah, okay. Um, and so you've got both of these people who are major, major sports stars. Mm-hmm. Um, with huge followings. I think he's got like 50 million followers on his Twitter feed. Uh, like, like LeBron is like one of the biggest sportsmen in, in the world. Yeah. Like Israel Flau is like big in Australia. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. He's unheard of anywhere else in the world. But LeBron is, LeBron is worldwide. And so my, my the question is, okay, these are two very different circumstances. How is the world going to react? Mm. Is LeBron going to face what Israel Folau faced for quoting a passage of the Bible? And I would say, in my opinion, injudiciously. Mm. Um, is a perceived death threat going to be placed in the same category as perceived hate speech? Mm. I tend to think not because when I look through all of my news stories this morning, it's not a mention. Yeah, wow. Well. It's just total silence. You know, it's it's interesting because, like, this comment doesn't come out of the blue. Like, there is so much kind of cultural and timely pretext that we need to understand to why LeBron James said this, of course, because of everything that happened last year around George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, and this the whole standing up against the police because of police injustice and brutality, and you know, that, that was like a yeah. b- bubbling and underlying thing but came to a head last year. Uh, and, and so there's that that thing of like in, in any other circumstance, LeBron James, I think, would be like rightfully ostracized for this because like it's also um, it's called doxing. Essentially, that's that's the word that they give to it. Like, you know, there's like full docs, which is where you would like release his address and everything. But just um, displaying someone's identity on on yes. online on in public media. on in social media, drawing attention to their identity um, in this way is like, yeah, it's really it's really hectic. Like, it's it's illegal in in a lot oh, of cases. I would I would think that this would be illegal as well. I um, mean, he's he's a multi uh, multi 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 millionaire many 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 times over, so he's going to have a pretty good legal team. Yeah, um, far in excess of what you know, Israel Folau is fabulously wealthy as well, but not on the same same level. Even no, close. no way. Like <laughs> LeBron James is the man. Like, and and this is the thing that goes through my mind. Yes, there are a lot of things that have been done wrong mm. in the United States. Nobody's going to question that. Yeah, 100%. bad things happen. Does that make it right? Yes. Ever. Mm. That does it ever make it right? Mm. It never. It's never right to do that kind of thing. I feel like there's a real Christian principle to draw out of this. Something that is so clear from Scripture, and that is, justice is never retaliatory. Yes. Um, we see this in many stories, but my mind always goes to like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at, at the fiery furnace. You know, they've been, you know called to be put to death. They're men of great faith who have received visions from God. Like, well, you know, at that point, Daniel has. They know that God's working in their life. And um, instead of stooping to the level of Nebuchadnezzar, who is threatening threatening them with death, rather they, they, um, they, they say, you know, whether we die or not, like God will be glorified. And uh, because of that, because they don't retaliate, that actually gives the opposite party, the one who is, a pers- who is persecuting them, the ability to change. And that's, that's right. exactly what we see. That Nebuchadnezzar yes. then becomes a follower of God 
because they didn't retaliate. And this just makes me think, you know, with, with this retaliation, you know, but in, in a, in this kind of situation, it just escalates it. it. It escalates it. It draws divides, you know, even further. And it ultimately, you know, the cycle of revenge continues. Yes. And, and the cycle of hate and the cycle of, you know, war and rights and goodness knows whatever else. It just mm, continues. Mm. We need to de-escalate. And this is where, you know, I look at the United States, which is such a great country, and they have lost the vision of, you know, their great um, leaders of the past like Martin Luther King, who mm. was able to accomplish what he accomplished because of nonviolence. Yeah, wow. He would never have had the impact that he had if he had take a violent, taken a violent approach. Mm. He would have, he would have, it would have ended up with greater oppression. In mm. the US. And I fear that the same thing could happen again because of what is happening now is a violent approach. It could easily end up with greater oppression. Mm-hmm. Greater oppression. And I think like, you know, if this situation, you know, ever clears up in the future, you know, we've seen, we've seen many like civil rights issues and all these kinds of things like kind of clear up and move on. Um, you know, it's like, who's going to be remembered as the bad guy? Who's going to be remembered as the good guy? I guess we'll see. Yes. But be, because it seems as though both parties who are calling for justice are doing terrible things. Okay, so in Oklahoma, they've uh, just passed legislation to um, ban colleges from teaching that one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. You would think that would be a given. Yeah. Um, the same legislation <laughs> like, also okay. bans um, an indiv- teaching that an individual by virtue of his or her race or sex is inherently racist, sexist or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. That goes a step further. Um, they've also banned uh, teaching that an individual should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment solely or partly because of his race or sex. That should be a given. Yeah, okay, yep. <laughs> they have also banned teaching that members of one race or sex cannot and should not attempt to treat others without respect without respect to race or sex. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they also banned teaching that an individual's moral character is necessarily determined by his race or her race or sex. <laughs> okay. Good laws. Yeah. Um, they've also banned teaching that an individual by virtue of his or her race or sex bears responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex. Mm-hmm. Um, they've also banned teaching that any individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any form of psychological distress on account of his or her race or sex. And they have banned teaching that meritocracy or traits such as hard work ethic are racist or sexist or were created by members of a particular race to oppress members of another race. So they've gone after both sides at once. That is they've so gone after, intense. They've gone after critical race theory on the left and they've gone after white supremacists on the right and they've gone, both you guys need to take a big chill pill. You are going down. It's been outlawed. That's awesome. It's a pretty good that's piece a, of legislation. <laughs> like, that's great. You know, when you get a piece of legislation where both extremes are going to be really upset, then you're probably somewhere on the money. Mm. So it's good to see some things, uh, some positive things taking place in our world. Anyway, we're back with the most amazing interview yes. uh, of the yes. year. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. This morning we have something special for you. So every year at Anzac Day, I like to interview somebody who has stories to share from, I guess, the wars and the battles of the past, stories that help us to remember that war is a terrible thing, something that we need to have eradicated from our world, 
And if we forget these stories, if we forget the horror, we too easily enter back into mm. war again. Mm. One of the challenges that I have had, of course, in finding these stories is finding stories from the Axis side and even, I guess, dealing with the question, do we remember those stories on Anzac Day? Mm. And I think that we need to. Because the reality is that, you know, the First World War, the Second World War, all of the wars that we've been involved in are all examples of absolute horror and that on both sides, regardless of where you come from, there was a human cost and a human story to be told and we need to remember those human stories, not just, you know, the ones that we favour, but recognise that there were people who suffered and died from every walk of life. And so finding some of those stories from the Axis side has been challenging because, of course, I guess, well, if you lost the war, it's not necessarily something that a person likes to remember or likes to talk about. Last year, we heard from Reinhard uh, Galash, who talked about his father's experience in the Second World War on the Russian front. Mm. Uh, he was a medic and he drove tanks and so forth and obviously survived that because, you know, the Galash family has uh, descended from there. But I have an even more unique story this year. Yeah, Joining wow. us in the studio this morning is Hannah Nakagawa. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. Um, I'm a bit nervous because this is the first time, but I'm excited to be here too. That's fantastic. <laughs> now, of course, Hannah, with a name like Nakagawa, obviously your heritage is Japanese. Yes, I'm from Japan. Um, I lived there more than 20 years and I came here like three, four years ago. So, yeah, I, I lived in Japan for most of the time, like most of my life. Yes, yes. Okay, so Hannah, what we'd like to do this morning is ask you a little bit about your family's experience Yes. Uh, during the Second World War mm-hmm. and what kind of things did they go through? So your parents, your grandparents, how old would have your grandparents been when the Second World War came? Yes, so <clears throat> I didn't know personally experienced war, but my par- my grandparents were living in a city called Utsunomiya, which is my hometown, and they were like 10 to 12 years old, and yeah, they were like primary kids, and today I will basically share what my grandma shared to me, and also what my mom uh, told me, um, because I when I talked with my grandma, she didn't really tell me a lot, maybe because she didn't want to tell, or she didn't want to she didn't remember, I don't know, but uh, my mom, um, yeah, heard a lot from her grandparents. So, yeah, I'll, I'll share of that today. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and so your grandparents, did they have family members like, um, you know, fathers, uncles, etc., who were fighting in the war? Yes. So my great-grandfather went to Manchuria, China, and we don't really know, to be honest, like what he did or um, how it went because um, he survived and came back to Japan. But my t- mom told me that he didn't really talk about war at all in in the family. And it's probably because in a war, it's just like they are encouraged to kill people. Like that's their duty, you know. Mm. And I think it's easy to um, think that they don't want to talk about it. And like they just... 
Um, and want to forget that part of their life and just put it yeah. behind them and move on and never, ever go back there again. Yes. And this is what you find with uh, veterans of war who've actually experienced conflict. Sometimes you've got mm. you know, your veterans out there who talk about the war ad nauseum and can't shut up about it, but they're not the ones who actually were in, you know, frontline conflict. Mm. Um, and this is something that's interesting because I think a lot of people forget that for the Japanese, the, the Second World War started in 1931. You know, we often say, oh, you know, the Second World War started in 1939. Not if you're a Japanese. It started in 1931 and then it extended all the way down to 1945. Mm. And so that was a tremendous toll on the Japanese people and on the Empire of Japan uh, during that particular period. I guess we don't know a lot about what your grandfather did other than that he was in Manchuria. Would that be correct? Yeah, that's right. Now, do we know whether he came back to Japan as the war was progressing or was he there sort of the entire period of the war? Do we have those details? I'm not sure, actually. Maybe I can share this story that um, when my grandma was in Japan and, like, go through the war, I I, I heard that story, but I, yes. I'm not sure if... Oh, actually, probably he came back after the war. I heard that he was... Um, one point had to be in prison or something, but I'm not sure. Probably he came back after the war finished there. Right, so prison of war at some particular at some particular point, mm. possibly. Yes. Were you was your were your grandparents in an area that um, was it an industrial area? Was this an area that was bombed um, by the Allies? Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, so my both grandparents are in the city Utsunomiya, and yeah, they had. Um, 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 as well. Yeah, so they were running away, so they were like kids, but um, they had to like run away to the rural area where the bombs, it's not coming, and um, yeah, my grandma told me that she had to like run through the rice field and like river, and like she was like, um, yeah, running to the place where her relative lives, um, and yeah, she saw like the bombs coming down from, you know, sky and like um, yeah, everywhere. And also there's a siren that whenever the bomb starts, like they have to put all the hats and like, you know, special clothes and then they have to hide in a bomb shelter. Um, so yeah, my grandma was like always putting the special clothes and hat and shoes next to her bed. Yeah. So that whenever she heard the siren, she would just quickly put on that and then, um, yeah, run to the shelter. It's bizarre that, you know, for a 10 or 12 year old kid, this would be mm. the norm. This is what you grow up with. We talk about, you know, the generation that has gone through COVID and the stress that it has caused this generation. But you're talking a gener about a generation that went through, you know, firebombing. Yeah. The firebombing of Japan was just absolutely horrific. The firebombing of Japan, if you look at the uh, statistics of it, was far more destructive than the atomic bombs mm. uh, that went off in in Japan. Now, during this particular time, how difficult was it for them to live? You mentioned that they had relatives who lived in rural areas. Mm. Um, was there restriction on food? Was there starvation? What was um, what were their living conditions like? Yes. Um, I heard that they could barely eat white rice. 
Um, I know, Lawson, you love white rice. <laughs> <laughs> we, we eat white rice, like fried rice. Yeah, we go to church together. Yeah. Yeah, and, so, and so we just eat rice, like, every time we hang out, every every meeting, rice. Yeah, sometimes we just, you know, rice, avocado, and soy. So that's, you know, our church. <laughs> the, the common. <laughs> church member eats. But, yeah. And, yeah, basically, like, they couldn't get white rice at all that time. So instead, they were eating, like, um, wheat, rice, corn, and sweet potato and things like that. So um, That's a very, very simple, basic diet. Yeah. It's probably nutritious. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) But when I was listening to Grandma's story, she was like, oh, yeah, I couldn't eat white rice. So that's how it sounded like like they wanted to eat white rice, Mm. but they couldn't have it. And once again, I think about the hardship of the COVID generation, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is not hardship at all. Yeah. You get down to, uh, you know, about four different types of foods that you can eat uh, that are even available to eat. And and was the, okay, so they talk about, you know, um, wheat, rice and so forth. Was food plentiful, even though it was limited as far as variety goes? Oh, I don't think it was plentiful. There's a actually a movie called Grave of the Fireflies. This describes the story that they're, so it's a sibling story, um, brother and sister, and they lost like their parents. And then it's a based on true story. They were starving. They had to like steal the food from somewhere um, to survive. But basically the sister um, starved and died because of the Stopping. Yeah, and a lot of people in Japan. It was just a, a, a tremendous tragedy for the Japanese people that you know that went through this. Was there any particular point for your grandparents where they really believed that they were in imminent danger of losing their life? And obviously, the bombs are coming over. I guess that kind of counts on a kind of daily basis. But was there a, a point at which maybe you know they felt particularly close? that it was a standout memory? Yeah, it was... She told me something um, a little bit interesting. She said that... So the government were collecting all the metal from the house. So, like, um, they have to you know, um, collect, for example, like a pot um, for the weapon and stuff. So if they reject it, then they'll like be put in prison. So they were, of course, like they were in danger of like, you know, bombing as well. But like they were in danger of like always like afraid of the government as well to be put in Mm. prison or like to be like chased. Or also, I think there must be the strong, I don't know, like people are just like, crazy that oh you can't say anything against the war so if they say anything um, negative about war or emperor then they will be killed so i think that was more scary i mean i wouldn't say more scary because bomb is scary as well but i think it was yeah uh, as scary mm. as bombing as well, well it creates a situation where it's like you're living in terrible poverty with nothing to eat mm. and you're constantly being bombed and it's obviously yeah the conditions are so negative mm. and then to raise any concern to that then you're persecuted because of it that's incredibly heavy especially like you know you could imagine a young person just mm. feeling that in a natural sense like wow this is really terrible and then to lose that lose their life because of it from the people that are fighting you know quote unquote for them that's that's heavy mm. as mm. so so tell me hannah obviously you're a christian 
Uh, do you have a Christian heritage in your family? Actually, I'm the only Christian in my You're family. You're the only Christian in your family. Okay, did your family, um, you know, particularly your grandparents, back at the time of the Second World War, when this was happening, did they have a faith and did that affect the way that they uh, looked at the war or looked at even surviving the war? I think my my family are all Buddhism or Shintoism background. I mean, Japan is a really secular country. Like, it's not really religion. Even though we do have Buddhism and Shintoism, it's not like a faith-based. Like, we just go to temple, like, once a year, things like that. But I think uh, during the time, emperor became god, definitely, for like Japanese um, people, because they die, and it was an honor to die for emperor and people have to be happy for that and i think that's kind of like um that was like a religion in japan that time like we were people were worshiping emperor Mm, mm, mm. okay so moving on i mean the, the war obviously comes to a close and the atomic bombs are dropped which is then followed by an american occupation what was that like for your grandparents what kind of experiences did they go through then and how did they feel about you know seeing american servicemen in the streets, yes. in their nation. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I put myself in that shoe, in those shoes, and I sort of think if the reverse was the case, and I'd been serving in the Australian Army and Australia came under Japanese occupation, it would be very confronting to have, you know, Japanese servicemen in the streets of Newcastle. That's what I thought as well, and I was, um, you know, I thought there is a very huge like contention between them but then while the story that i heard from uh, my mom was that um people were kind of relieved after the war and when they saw american um soldier um the kids especially they like they came up to this um um so uh american and uh, they're like oh give me chocolate (laughs) 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 americans the great source of chocolate So So this is how you win hearts and minds when you take over another country. It's with chocolate. Oh, but yeah, so that's what they told me about. And so I think, um, of course, you know, the upper class of people, they they might have a different ideas or different um, feeling toward them. But um, my grandma, like what I heard from the people who are in the small city, they are like just like, kind of friendly to them. Mm-hmm. Mm. And any idea how your great-grandfather felt, you know, no idea at all? Oh, but that's, uh, I think that's what my grandfather told my mom. So I I don't know why, but like that's, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, I think, um, and I think he, he was in China as well. So I don't know how he was feeling. Yeah, so he's not fighting against Americans, mm. um, and mm. it's an American occupation rather than a Chinese occupation, mm. so it would have um, would have been somewhat different. Uh, for your grandparents, how long did it take for things to sort of get back to normal again? I mean, they've gone from, you know, growing up, I mean, if, if your grandparents are, uh, you know, 10 and 12 years old at the end of the Second World War, that means that there has never been a time in their life when Japan has not been at war mm. until that particular point. Mm. They have only known their nation as being at war mm. because, of course, you know, the Japanese, um, for, as we mentioned earlier, the Second World War for them started in 1931. Mm. What was it like for them coming back to normal? I guess 
well, what is normal when you've grown up like that? But um, And how long did it take before Japan started to thrive again? Because, I mean, J- Japan became the world economic superpower, a powerhouse in the world. How long did that transition take? Well, I'm not sure how long it was, but I'm sure it was like gradual. Um, food was changed. Education was changed. Yeah, so education, I think it was before the war, it was more like teaching students to like be for for war, like to preparing for war, like to be faithful to the country, to the nation, um, to the patriot. Okay. To be patriotic. Patriotic, yeah, that's right. Yes. So, but I think after the war, the education uh, changed in that point, and also food was changed as well. Um, I heard that they started to eat a lot of bread because there were a lot of flour left over from the war. So, America gave Japan a lot of leftover flour. So, my grandma's generation is actually the generation that ate a lot of bread and even now like my generation eat more rice like Lawson but <laughs> yeah my grandma's generation ate a lot of bread and flowers so was this new for Japan yeah I think so yeah and I heard that uh, diet changed a lot and people yeah people's health changed a lot too. in a good way or a bad way <laughs> I heard it wasn't the best uh, in the beginning I I don't know why because like you know our body kind of used to you know, maybe like um, eating more rice and stuff, but then they started to eat bread. And I heard that they got more like obesity and stuff as well. Uh-huh. But maybe opposite can happen if, you know, if opposite can happen. Well, now, now you guys are going back to, to back to rice, but your generation <laughs> is like, no, we're going to eat rice again. So that, that, that could be a really good thing for you guys. <sighs> Yeah. Okay. So, what were some of some of the other positives and negatives that came out of uh, this new Japan that really does arise after the Second World War? I think, as uh, you already mentioned, the economic growth was like really, really huge. I think um, I heard that people were very, very diligent to work hard, and I don't know if it's a really good things because like some people are very workaholic even now um, as a culture in Japan, but. Yeah, they, I think, um, it was definitely a huge, huge, um, economic growth. And people probably because, like, I heard that they lost the war and they just wanted to work so hard so that they can mm. catch up kind of thing. And put it behind them. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that, you know, Japan is a shining light because, you know, the, the, the Japanese were banned from having an army after the Second World War because they made a, a, a non, an unconditional surrender. That was what mm. the United States demanded. Mm. And what Japan then becomes is a shining light of what can happen when a country focuses their attention on economic growth rather than on military growth. Mm. Mm. And they became, you know, Japan became an economic superpower in the world. As a result of that, they didn't have to worry about like, well, we've got to, uh, you know, build this huge army up and we've got to spend all of this money on army. They're like, no, we can just spend our money on making our country a better place. Mm. And it, it's, it's one of those examples that gives us that little glimpse of what could be mm. if war did not exist in our world. Mm. 
Well, it was like, because a lot of things are repurposed as well. Like all the engineers that were building planes and tanks, all of a sudden they're building cars and they quickly became the best. Like they're dominant. They just completely dominated the car market. I mean, Mm. if you want to, if you want to buy, you know, I'm into four wheel drives. If you're going to buy a good four wheel drive, it's going to be Japanese. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's as simple as that. And, uh, you know, that they talk about the Toyota tax. Yeah. You know, which is like a car so good that's more expensive than everything else, even if it's even in its own domestic market. Like, yeah, that's incredible. There's, there is a reason for that. Mm. And uh, I think that's just a, an amazing example of just that little bit of a glimpse of what the world could be like if we didn't spend so much time focusing on war. Hannah, tell me about your experience, because um, you mentioned that you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so... You're here today because your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents survived this experience, uh, a horrific experience, and, and, uh, and here you are in Australia. Um, this Anzac Day, um, as a Japanese person mm. sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, mm. how do you feel about that? Well, um, I think I told you, like I, I talked about like emperor a little bit before, like basically war is something that, you know, people worshipping not God, but something else. And it really shows me what can happen when we don't put God first. And I really um thankful for God that God really intervened to my life and I I can worship God like, you know, day by day, every day and praise the Lord because so that like God leads us to life. But if we have anything else before God, then that's really dark place to be. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't really lead us to anywhere. And I just, this kind of thinking of like, um, war, um, it's, <laughs> it's just terrible. It's just like, um, like it, it's just like, Oh, like mm. so. Here's an interesting thought. So, mm. my grandfather and Lawson's grandfather fought against the Japanese in the Second World War. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and we were joking about like, oh yeah, our grandfathers fought against <laughs> each other. But does that, you know, you now worship together mm. with Australians, yes, um, with Chinese. Mm. Um, one of your best friends is from China. That's right. <laughs> and your grandfather was fighting in China. Mm. Um, does the gospel of Jesus Christ make a difference mm. when, you know, we have all of these frictions between nationalities here on this earth? What does the gospel of Jesus Christ do to those frictions between all these nationalities? Mm. Yes, I really believe that um, as a Christian, we are not fighting against the blood and flesh. Uh, we are, um, yeah, I think Jesus really brought peace to us. And um, mm. and I think, yeah, like war is basically like, you know, uh, fighting against each other, killing each other. But we, it's not our enemy. Like we as a Christian just look Look to Jesus and, um, until he comes back, we need to be faithful, um, and remember that we are not, are fighting against each mm. other. It's, it's interesting if I can just, uh, speak to that too. Like, um, you know, between Australia and Japan and America and Japan, those tensions don't really exist today. Uh, but like within Asia itself, mm. you know, the big three, mm. uh, in, in, in the East Asian area, you've got, 
China, Japan, Korea. Mm. There's still a lot of tension between those countries mm. even today. And Be- historical tension that goes yeah. back to the Second World War and earlier. Yeah, right. because because of these events. Um, and it's so awesome that, like, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, like, me, me and Hannah go to church together and we mentioned, yeah, Chinese friend, nah. Like, our church is such a multicultural mm. mixing pot. Have you got any Korean? Sit- yeah. Yeah, yeah got, that's right. So we've got, got the trifecta. You've got, the, you've got them all. We've <laughs> <laughs> got, then we've got historical enemies worshipping yeah. together. But then we've got, like, Vietnam, Philo, mm. like, we've got, all, you know, and then we've got people from Africa, people from literally every continent mm. we have at our church. Yes. Um, and that's the blessing of, you know, university ministry is that you've got mm. people from all over the place. Um, and yet, because of Christ and because of the unity that he brings in his message, we realize that, yeah, we're not, we're not enemies. We're all guilty and fallen to sin. Mm. Um, but God is doing an amazing work to bring us all back together. And we can taste just a little bit of that on this earth with the blessing of church. A foretaste of heaven. Hannah Nakagawa, thank you so much for joining us here on The Breakfast Show this morning and sharing the memories that your family has of the Second World War and the lessons that we can learn from it. We're going to move on with the show right now. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.